Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding. His church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life. It's what is the purpose that's been assigned. Stay curious. Think well. Advance good. This is Q. The essential movement of love is downward. It's the word became flesh and lived among us. And the, and the notion that you would want to escape something that is inflicting pain on someone else for your own sake is the antithesis of love. Welcome back to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. I'm Paul Perot from Faith Radio as we continue the third in our series of seven where we're uncovering the six practices that have always guided the church. No matter what age we lived in, no matter what threats or challenges the church has faced from the world, these are the practices that have kept the church true to who we are supposed to be. Gabe? It's been fun to do this. My friend Greg Thompson, who you've listened to on these first two episodes and will continue to have this conversation today, really brings incredible insight because he, he really brings an insight as a theologian, as somebody who understands history and how cultures change, who appreciates research and sociology. And so it just creates such a rich conversation. And on these first two episodes, we've really taken it from a 100,000 foot level, dialed it into 30,000 feet, and we continue to try to dial this in for us so that we can all sort of appreciate Appreciate. Well, what does this mean for us today? What does it mean to recover some things that maybe we've lost, to remember some things maybe we've forgotten, and maybe to practice and demonstrate some things that we didn't even realize were part of what the church has always practiced? And so that's the fun part of this is, is trying to understand where it is that maybe we've forgotten a few things. And there's no better place to dig into this than understanding the second practice, the idea of recovering our confession and becoming reacquainted with what Christians have always believed. You see, if you're trying to just engage the world as it is, but you're not coming from some basis that's a foundation that really gives you a sense of understanding, what is it that Christians believe about the world, about human beings, about our calling in the world, about what God's designed us to do and what he's trying to do in the world, then we actually start from the wrong place and we don't have much to offer. And so in this episode, we're going to hear Greg describe a little bit more about our confession and what does that mean for us to know what we believe and to start to live that out. And as we start to understand that more, it's going to give us insights into some of the greatest questions people are asking, even in our time. And so listen with me to Greg as we continue in this process and learn more about the second practice that we can adapt into our life. Now, the second question is this, what do we believe? Now, it, it may seem uh, obvious that Christian folk ought to know what they believe as we think about our, our lives in this world. But, but even so, you know that confession, even in our own time, is complicated, that strong confessions of faith are complicated. And there are historical and cultural reasons for this that it's important that we understand. See, one of the great tragedies of our history as a church is the degree to which our own confession has been used as an occasion of violence. 
both against one another in the church and against our neighbors. I mean, we all know the painful stories of how the community of the Prince of Peace has been most clearly manifest in little fiefdoms of war. And one of the effects of this history of violence has been this conviction, which is very strong in our time, that confession of any kind, that fixed systems of any kind are in essence only a source of personal hatred and public harm. And Christians feel this. We feel this ambivalence in our own lives. And so some have been driven inward and begin to think about Christian confession largely in terms of personal comfort. Oh, it's it's primarily about forgiveness for sin or strength in my own life or, or certainty of the life to come. It's been driven inward. For others, Christian confession has largely been driven outward. They resent this story. And so see the the Christian confession largely in terms of cultural contest as a set of intellectual and moral and political tools to help us compete with our neighbors. And I understand the historical and the theological impulses of this. But I also understand that neither of these is at the heart of Christian confession. Because Christian confession is not first about personal comfort. It is not first about cultural contest. Do you know what it is about? It is about divine communion. It is about divine love. That is what we believe. Remember what we believe. We believe in a God of love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that dwell together in eternal love for all time. We believe in the creation of love, that this world is an overflow of God's love given to his creatures, and that our job is to receive that love, to participate in it, and extend it to the world. We believe in the corruption of love. We understand that we sinned, that we chose lesser loves, and we've been exiled from our beloved and and disordered and our own ability to love. But we believe in the pursuit of love, the coming of love, that God, because he loves us, promised that he would come into this world and return us to himself, reorder our loves, and that he has done this in Jesus Christ. In the incarnation of Jesus, love pursued us. In the ministry of Jesus, love love served us. In the crucifixion of, of Jesus, love bore our suffering. In the resurrection of Jesus, love secured our life. In the ascension of Jesus, love governs us in wisdom now. In the Pentecost of Jesus, sending the Spirit, love equips us for the work ahead. And at the return of Jesus, love will win. Love will triumph. And lastly, we believe in the triumph of love. We believe that at Jesus' return, God will in fact make all things new. And that he will receive us as his beloved and transform this world into a city of love where we can dwell together for all time. We believe in love. That's what we confess. And this is what our our age needs so desperately. An age that is so suspicious of confession. They need to hear the confession of love. And so because of this, the Christian church has to redevote itself to understanding its confession and rooting it in the reality of triune love expressed through Jesus Christ and in the church and into the world. Greg, you talked a lot here about our confession being one that our world needs to hear again, you know, a confession of love. And you described it beautifully in all these different movements of how love comes out. But I want to go back to to the context a little bit that that we're in as we kind of keep talking through these practices. Uh, A word you use a lot is the idea of being missionaries or missionary faithfulness and what that 
might look like in our age. And I know for some people that kind of conjures up these images of a missionary going off to a foreign land and, and trying to be a missionary. But as you talk about missionary faithfulness, it means something different to you that's rooted much further out than just the last hundred years of Christian mission. I, I mean, we use that language when we've talked about it. The idea is uh, of a missionary community, which again, you're right, has lots of complicated associations for people. But it, it basically means having a, a minority status in a culture, having limited political or public agency, or at least less than you would like to have or think that you have, dwelling in a place on purpose, so you're not just stuck here, you st- you come here on purpose, for the sake of bearing witness to God and loving your neighbor. That That's the whole that's the whole thing. And, and it's important that you bring the missionary stuff up here, because the way that I've framed the confessional piece is really a, a, a missionary confession. It, it's the kind of core, essential parts of our faith to which we need to bear witness in this in this time. And as we described in the last episode, we talked about embracing our context. It's one of the first practices that we need to be living out. And part of understanding our context is to know we've moved from this majority kind of view, maybe in American culture, Western cultures, where the church had such dominance and lots of power, to now being in much more of a minority place. And so as we get back to knowing our confession – our confession actually shapes the way in which we'll approach the world from this minority place. Talk more about love and the use of the word love and why that's such an important way for Christians to think about our mission in the world. Well, I think about it. Uh, I think it's important for a couple of reasons. I want to just acknowledge that for some people that language feels kind of squishy and that it can feel like it lacks a certain kind of substance or conviction. But I think it's incredibly important to to capture and insist on that for several reasons. One is I really do believe that the love of God is the central story of the Bible, that we have this triune community of love, and that Jesus' own coming is a result of God's love for the world, and that his purpose is to make us lovers of God and lovers of neighbor again. I think that if you try to extract Christianity from this essential stream and ethic of love, you you really have distorted it in some way and that people that are frightened of love, in my judgment, don't understand it and don't understand it's it's like inextricable nature from the Christian story. I think it's important for cultural reasons, as I said in the talk, because people are very cynical about love. They they are used to people seeking to exercise power, exploit them in some way, and the Christian church has certainly participated in that. So a community that exists for the purpose of bearing witness to God's love for the world in the way that we live and move with our neighbors, it's incredibly important. Um, And I think that we have, frankly, we have to re-educate the American church into the the language of love. And and to be honest, the fact that that love is viewed with suspicion in the Christian church shows me just how tragically we've been formed theologically and how much ground we have to recover. Yeah, you're right. And I think, but I get why listeners would think of I do too, the yeah. squishiness of love that's being used. You know, in a lot of places today, Christians will use that language to essentially say, you can't hold on to any concrete beliefs that somebody around you disagrees with because then you're not loving them. That That love actually today equals affirmation of another's ideas, no matter what those ideas are. Yeah, and you, right. you kind of get to that here where you talk about the age that we're in is is an age where people are threatened by anything concrete that looks like a system or an ideology that's informing the way that you live. There's a fear of that. Yeah, is, that is that a healthy fear or rightly placed because of how power has been used against others? Well, again, thinking, remembering the age of contradiction, I, I think it it's understandable why people would say, you know, I really don't want to get in all these 
idea wars. I just want to somehow love you. There is a profoundly naive aspect to it, though, um, especially when it gets down to it. There are actual things that do hurt actual people, and we do need to resist those things. And so I think that it's sort of a, it's sort of a sensibility that people like to perceive themselves as loving right. and as non-judgmental. When you're actually thinking about what it means to love in the midst of very, very complicated and painful situations where there are actual forces in the world that are exploiting men, women, and children, you lose that naivete and you begin to grow a sense of, of, of wisdom about what you ought to resist, and then you begin to resist it. Well, it's interesting how you even laid out all of the things that Christians believe reminding us in a, in a creedal way of what it is that Christians have always believed framed in the language of love. And in some ways, you're reminding us of our beginnings of what it what are the confessions of the historic church using a little bit of a different way of saying it than maybe we might read the apostles creed but in fact following along with all of the things that we as christians historically over 2000 years have believed and confessed and when i was laying out the the different things that we believe in the talk um, you know, your, your hearers will probably recognize that that was built around the Apostles' Creed. I'm talking about the Trinity. I'm talking about the Incarnation. I'm talking about sin. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit and the return and the church. Um, but it's insisting that we understand those creedal affirmations through the larger missiological lens of love. God's love for the world is what drove him to send his son in the first place. And when we separate the creed, from this confession of love, we've misrepresented the entire thing. So I want to fuse those back together. You know, if we just look back over the last few decades, a, a hyper-focus on personal salvation has become one of the ways in which we've experienced the love of Jesus has been to save us from this world and deliver us one day into heaven and into a new world where we actually can get away from any of the corruption or the things around us that we dislike or that we don't think are part of God's plan. And part of this is combating that and, and combating that way of thinking that God's love for us is about escaping this world when in fact it was for him about being incarnated in this world and embodying the presence of love to neighbors and to people who might not ever have experienced it. That's exactly right. The essential movement of love is downward. It's the word became flesh and lived among us. And the, and the notion that you would want to escape something that is inflicting pain on someone else for your own sake is the antithesis of love. Yeah, complete selfishness, right? And, and uh, exactly. And but, but let's get more practical here for people listening, going, "Yeah, I want to practice love. I want to practice my confession." What are some of the ways in a church, for example, that a pastor or, or a, a leader who's trying to create a culture that really appreciates a pursuit of love for their neighbor, not just for themselves? What are some of the ways that might be cultivated in a congregation, in a group of believers? Well, you know, in my own, my own experience as a pastor, such as it is, one of the things I found is that there's an enormous amount of pressure as a pastor in this in American context to have this unique insight, this um, particular perspective that makes you or your personality interesting or builds a platform for you. And I think that that is um, – Wait, you're saying in the American church there's a desire for people to build platforms? I've heard that it is so. Um, <laughs> but what I, one of the reasons I think, it's, it, I think it, it really impoverishes the church, because if pastors were free, 
to teach the Bible, to teach the creeds, to put the language of love in those, their people's mouths through prayer, through scripture, through song, to live out the, the life of love in friendship and community, to model the pathways of love with engagement with their neighbors. I think this is health. But as we're all like following these insight celebrities and looking for the next cool thing, it's completely eviscerating this deep, mature, substantive sort of uh, growth rings on the oak tree that Christian formation actually brings, which is weekly, daily exposure to the truths of love. Which has to be so refreshing to listeners who know that intuitively. They recognize that there's so much superficiality that's been accepted and some some ways celebrated within the American church, the Western church in some cases, uh, and that what we're describing here isn't something super complicated. We're not talking about trying to innovate. We're talking about trying to go backwards, trying to recover some things that maybe we've lost that are actually very simple, that are reminding people of who they are, of whose they are, about where they come from and where they're going. And and I think that's what's encouraging to me about this discussion is that we're not trying to add on another layer of things, more practices you need to come up with programs for in your church. We're actually in many ways saying you should probably strip some things away. You've You've engaged and you've embraced and decided we're critical to being a faithful church. And, and let's get back to some of these basics that are actually a little more simple and probably going to be something your people respond to in an amazing way because they haven't been nurtured maybe in years on some of these basics. I think that this, this notion of moving back towards something that's simple or, or elemental or foundational is appropriate, but it's not, that's not to say that it's easy because I think, honestly, a lot of the reasons we, that we chase these soundbite celebrity insights is because we have sort of given up that the hard work of love can actually bear fruit. And if somebody can just tell us something that's a little more interesting, a little more immediately accessible, then you have to learn to love God and love your neighbor with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We, it would be a lot easier if somebody could give us another solution than that, but that really is the only way. Right, right, right. And and I think this outward movement of love is restricted by fear, and and that's what we're seeing right now is that there is going to be this conflict. If you're fearful about your neighbor, if you're fearful about the world and the context in which you live, then you don't have the capacity to love because love is self-giving. And how do we help encourage those who right now might be sitting in a moment of fear yeah. and, and fearful of the outside world? And so they want to love. They, they want to do everything that we're talking about. They wish they could love their neighbor well. But the reality is they're, they're somewhat intimidated by their neighbor, and they're not sure that the Christian faith has anything to offer to their neighbor that they would find helpful. Yeah, I understand. I think remembering this very important word that love casts out fear, that, that there is fear. We are all afraid, but part of the work is to cultivate this vision that I really do belong to God. God really does love my neighbor. My life is wholly in God's hands. The lives of my children are in God's hands. And I can actually be free to love even when I don't know what will happen. Because frightened people, as you said, are not good lovers. <laughs> and what we want to learn to be is people who have a, a measure of self-forgetfulness that know that we exist for God and for neighbor, and that all the rest is in the hands of Christ. You know, it sounds so simple, but I think we all recognize how hard it actually is to embrace our context and then move forward in love and understand even what the definition of love means. It has become distorted. It has become a word 
that to some means just to affirm your neighbor in every possible way and forget even confessing what it is that we believe. And so it's within that tension that we as the church must go forward where we remember who we are. We remember what it is that we're called to do in this world. We take on that mission mentality that says our neighbors actually matter more than our self-preservation. Uh, and it's by relearning what it means to love that we actually have the opportunity to move forward and have any type of effect on the world around us. And so I'm convicted about it. I think about in my own life, how, how am I going to practice love better? How am I going to be a person who knows how to bring love to my neighbors, to be self-giving versus self-preserving? This will be a process. This is going to take time for all of us. But there is an opportunity here, an opportunity to be encouraged, to imagine what would our churches look like if we really taught this, if we were living this out, embodying it, encouraging one another into these acts of love around us. And I think we'll find as we continue through these practices, we'll see how this is going to be the basis. This is the foundation for how we have to operate in the world now that we understand and recognize we're a minority. And this is a good thing. And this is going to give us new opportunities to engage the world in ways we would never conceive of when we were in some sort of majority position of perceived power. continue this series on the six practices of the church next week on Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Now, if you've enjoyed the series so far and don't want to wait to hear more, you can find the series on QIdeas.org on the new Q Media platform. Gabe, tell us more about Q Media. After 15 years of curating talks, of commissioning research, of analyzing our current context and trying to bring the best thinking, the best talks, the best interviews, the best content to thoughtful Christian leaders, we're now excited to launch our new platform, Q Media. No longer is Q just an event, but now Q can show up with you on your handheld device, on your laptop, on the TV screen, in your living room, or in your office workplace. And by having this content available, our goal is to equip you to lead better conversation right where you've been called. We'll do the hard work and the heavy lifting of giving you the best talks, the best thinking, the thoughtful approaches to some of these difficult issues. And we're asking you to consider who can you bring around the table? Who can you invite into the conversation? Whether it's someone in your workplace or in your home, how can you be a leader that's creating thoughtful dialogue around conversations people want to have but don't always know where to start? Now on the Q Media platform, there's a variety of ways you can do this. Of course, we're going to have hundreds of talks available to you, each that come with three questions meant to start a real conversation with whomever you've gathered together. But in addition to that, we're curating films and documentaries series that allow you to go deeper with a particular artist or a thoughtful person who's been inspired to think well about culture. We also have designed courses that allow you to go deeper into a theological framework, a philosophical framework of how to think well about being a Christian in today's culture. We've curated podcast series and we'll be hosting live events on this platform that give you access to content right when it's happening from leaders that you care about and want to hear from. Instead of being overwhelmed by all the information that's coming in, all the data, all of the research, all of the content providers that are overwhelming us with information, Q wants to be the trusted source for you to curate 
the best content, the best ideas, the best thinking on how a Christian can be faithful to the historic truths of Scripture, but also loving and kind and smart and informed as we try to engage the difficult conversations that lie ahead for Christians engaging today's culture. It truly is a great place for you and those you know who want to stay curious, think well, and advance good. So whether you're an individual or a small team or maybe an entire congregation or organization, there are different packages available. Visit QIdeas.org to learn more and even to register for Q Media. And again, while we still have time, want to remind you that if you'd like to bring the Q experience to your community, now is a great time to consider hosting a Q Commons event this October 24th in your city. While our annual Q Conference brings people in from all around the world to Nashville for three great days every spring, Q Commons brings the Q experience into communities across the U.S. and around the world for one night. The night will consist of three great national speakers. Among them this year is New York Times bestselling author Malcolm Gladwell. And then you and your team arrange for local speakers and conversations tailored to the issues and needs of your community. Maybe you're thinking, well, that's a lot. I don't know if my team could do that. Don't worry. Gabe and the Q team have helps and resources to help you bring these important discussions into your community. So why not at least explore hosting a Q Commons event in your city? Just go to QCommons.com. You scroll down and you'll see a line that says interested in hosting. Just fill in your information. We'll get in contact with you and give you the information about what it would take to host a Q Commons event in your community. Again, that's QCommons.com. Join us for the next episode where we're going to move in. What does this really mean for our neighbor? What does it mean to love our neighbor well? We're going to start to unpack that in this next practice where we talk about our identity and the image of God in every human being. So join us, invite your friends, invite those around you to continue listening in on these episodes as we continue this journey to know what are these six practices that will help us know how to engage our world today. This show is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.